verses 1 to 5 or 6, and then the remainder by Richard. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in possession to the house of God? with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to God, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Thank you for the, thank you for the readers <coughs> and for the reading of God's word. Let's bow our heads on a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your word today as it speaks to us about uh, discouragement. Lord, we ask that uh, you would help us to um, find praise in our heart um, despite the circumstances in which we find ourselves, that we may see your truth and be sanctified by them, even as Christ himself prayed, and as we pray in his name. Amen. How many of you guys, by a show of hands, um, consider yourself, uh, or how, what your friends and your family would consider you, I don't know, like optimistic, right? And I'm going to ask for pessimistic after this. So how many of you? Raise your hand. All right, one. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, two, three, four. Four? Just four? Okay. How many of you then would, uh, would be considered pessimistic? Raise your hand. One, two. All right. Three. <laughs> David, you didn't raise your hand, did you? <laughs> All right, three, four. Hey, keep your hand raised. Let me, let me, I want to really want to get it. One, two, three, four, five, six, six. <laughs> uh, it's uh, okay. It's not overwhelming in one uh, in one area or another. But um, you know, as you guys know, I've been doing uh, like my, my latest fascination has been with DNA research. Right? And so, like, um, I, I listen to, like, maybe three different podcasts on it, uh, you know, on a weekly basis. And so I get, I, it all started with, actually, ancient DNA. And then, um, and then I'm, I'm currently working on something like uh, Christian apologetics, um, like Christian responses to ancient DNA and how, that, how we can respond to that. That's a long-term project for me. But anyway, 
you know, um, and there was this big study that came out of, regarding, um, it, was, it was the first study where they were able to uh, sequence, uh, where they used the data from a million people. Can you imagine that, right? A million people. Um, and so, uh, so this article just came out like this past year. And uh, it was a C and, and what they were trying to figure out was if you could determine through your DNA how many years of college you're going to go to, <laughs> you know, how many years of school, you know, advanced education you're going to have. Uh, you might find, oh, that's such a random trait, right? Uh, but actually, that's a trait that a lot of countries, including this country, uses instead of other, like, maybe um, approximate type of, you know, uh, like income level or something like that. No, they use years uh, in college, right, um, as, the, as the descriptor. And, and so uh, what they found was that there are these, you know, as you might probably know if you're, if you're familiar with, with these kind of studies, that, you know, anything that people are really interested in, like height, whether you can determine a person's height, you know, through the DNA or like, um, you know, like years in college. The, there are so many different um, uh, SNPs that are involved that they were able to identify, or like a lot, right? Um, dozens and dozens. And to be able to find the relationship between them is just impossible, right? And that's the way it is with height and a couple of others that people are really interested in. But I was thinking about that because, you know, uh, what if we could, like, predetermine in children, you know, like uh, people that get um, depressed or people that get discouraged really as easily and that that could be found. And if, we, and if we could like take it out, like those CRISPR babies in China, you could like kind of identify them and then you could just take them out. And, um, and well, I mean, there's, there's the obvious ethical question but then there's the, uh, you know, it got me to thinking because um, this is, this idea of discouragement, um, depression in the Christian life is something that's very painful to a lot of people. And it's the reality that a lot of Christians face. We're in our series, The Lord's Prayer, still under the first petition, Hallowed Be Thy Name. And I like this Psalm 42 because it's got the phrase, for I shall again praise him. For I shall again praise him. And so for those of you that are in that place where um, you know, you're in a place of kind of a depressed place, a place of discouragement, and you find that it's hard to hollow the name of God, uh, that you can, through this study and through the work of the Spirit, and through you taking a firmer hold of the gospel in your life through faith, that you can find, and yet I shall praise him again. That that would be um, your hope and your experience. Okay? So, uh, Psalm 42, very famous psalm. Um, and I have maybe four uh, big headings that I want to put today's talk under. Who, if anybody needs uh, one of these tracking notes, um, let's see, maybe Will. Oh, who needs one? Who, who doesn't have one? Raise your hand, yeah. Will, would you, do you mind passing them out to the people? 
Yeah. Raise your hand, please, so that Will can. Okay, so these are four, um, maybe not observations, maybe a better way of describing them is four steps, four things you need to do, okay, that the Bible's calling us to do, to, um, to address and to have a proper, you know, interaction with discouragement and depression in our life as a Christian. So, uh, what's the first one? Um, well, you guys heard the reading. Was there one time where the psalmist was confessing his sin? That discouragement was a sin? That feeling depressed was a sin? Was there? No, there wasn't, right? As a matter of fact, what's his main desire? You look there at verse 1. The psalmist's desire... As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? His desire is a godly one, an exalted one. He desires to experience God in a fuller way in his life. That is somehow not uh, attained by him. That he wants to experience God in a fuller way. That's his desire. That's what's causing his discouragement. That's what's uh, brought on this depressed state. And he has got nothing to confess. And that's my first point. Because I feel like a lot of people, you know, and this is maybe a problem, I think this is like a problem in a lot of different categories for Christians, is that their, their main discouragement comes from their understanding of discouragement. You know, or their main, their main problem, their main depression, and, you know, their main, yeah, comes from their understanding of depression. You know, from a biblical understanding in the, that is in the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about it? And so number one, my first observation, um, and the first step, is to know that not all feelings of discouragement are the product of personal sin. Write down personal sin. Uh, note, I didn't say, know that not all feelings of discouragement are the product of uh, sin. Right? But of personal sin. Because actually, discouragement is not part of the world in which God created. Right? Um, it, the world in which God created was... Uh, good, and uh, it was sin that broke the world, and through sin, um, we have things like depression and discouragement, right? So it wouldn't be accurate to say that, but we can say that this person isn't sinning right now, right now, and what he's expressing, and if you guys pray to God this prayer or something similar to it, you're not sinning. 
you might have a lot of questions, don't worry. I, I think all these observations are going to answer your questions. They're going to provide like rails. You know, like when you go bowling, you're a bad bowler, and you put up those like child rails. You know, they, we got rails here so that we don't go off the deep end, right, and go into bad theology, right, um, or go into blasphemy. So that's the first one, the first step. Step number two, okay. Um, and this is something very helpful that this person does. This is a mascal. Uh, of the sons of Korah. Out of the first 42 psalms, I think 39 of them or so are all from David, penned by David. So these are one of the few that is not. And a mascal would so like this artistic song, um, highly stylistic song. And the sons of Korah were the people that helped with the public worship at the temple. Right? And so... Uh, and so the, so the sons of Korah, these are, you know, maybe a son of Korah, uh, one of these guys that was penning this psalm um, was looking at the reasons in his own life, uh, why he was feeling discouraged. Um, in any case, we see a couple of reasons, and this is a good step for you to take, to identify the human reasons for feeling discouraged, right? That you're not like, living up here and trying to spiritualize everything, um, you, got, there's a, you got to go do there. You got to go there. But first, you got to find the specific reasons why you're feeling discouraged. And he identified three. Verse two, this uh, son of Korah said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That last, second phrase that second sentence is the key. It might not appear to be, but it is. When shall I come and appear before God? What he means by that is to appear before God is a euphemism for going to the temple. And in the Old Testament way of doing things, uh, the way the nation of Israel worshipped God was to go to the temple of God with his people and worship together. And so what was lacking in this person's life was, um, was this community worship and community fellowship. He was spiritually isolated. Write that down. Spiritually isolated. That was his first human reason for feeling discouraged. Also, we see in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Who is the they? These are apparently these enemies that are all about him. These enemies who mock him for his faith. These enemies who disparage his faith and his God. Who, uh, verse 9 and 10, we get another picture. I say to my God... To God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And so the second issue is that this individual is surrounded by enemies. Surrounded by enemies. Right? And many of you can feel that way. 
that among your friends, uh, you're like one of the few believers, uh, or amongst your family members, maybe you're the only believer. Maybe at work, no one cares about you know your faith, and you know they may they never make any schedule changes to do you favors um, on Sunday. Uh, they just don't care. As a matter of fact, if they're a Christian, they might just to needle you and just to hinder you, you know, inspired by the devil and this kind of devilish glee, um, undoubtedly many supervisors go the other way, you know, and hinder many of you from being able, being able to attend church and to participate in uh, fellowship. So they're surrounded by enemies, and these people, of course, make, you know, all sorts of remarks um, to mock you, to mock your faith. Um, and then the third and last thing that we can see is verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and the song of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So what, as, you know, uh, what this guy was, the son of Korah, was was a leader in the congregation, specifically in the service, that he would be leading them in praise, like, like Eric did today, right? And so that was the job of the sons of Korah. And, and so they were professional singers, they were musicians, and they would lead in the public worship of Israel at the temple. And so this particular person you did that at one time, but for whatever reason, he was separated from that, right? And so, in a, you know, in a very specific sense, you could say it was the loss of that, that role that he had, that huge role that dominated his life, you know? Um, and that was gone from his life now. And uh, that part that also helped him to uh, feel close to God was gone, right? And you see it a lot, you know, psychologists will... We'll talk about, you know, these uh, massive losses that you have, disruptions in your life. Like when you retire, you know, or when um, you're a widow, suddenly widowed. You know, your wife or husband of 15 years and suddenly, you know, this massive loss in your life. Or you've been in this job for 10 years and suddenly you got to change jobs because of technology or because of, you know, downsizing or, or whatever, and then suddenly you're in flux and you don't know what to do and you've got this big hole in your heart, right? And there's some of that here with this person, this massive disruption of life. Let's just call it a disruption of life. Specifically, it was him losing that role that he had, leading the people in worship and praise, that leadership role he had. And so these three human reasons um, led to him feeling discouraged. And what I'm telling you is that you need to do the work of identifying the things, the, the specific human things, details in your life that are leading you to feel discouraged if you want to deal with it. All right. Number three, and this is a uh, short point, but... The feelings of discouragement uh, 
that you experience, right? They're not sinful. They're not. But they can turn sinful. Right? They can turn sinful. Um, they can turn sinful when you, uh, when you surrender to them. You know, the, he's describing the circumstances of his life like waves, like breakers, and like a waterfall, like just a deluge just pouring onto him, unrelenting, and just beating him down and down and down until you might feel like you just want to give up. You just want to give in. You just want to let go and drown in it. And there are people, and we can respond that way. We can, in bitterness and resentment, or in this kind of perverse, you know, sense of victimhood, and, and, you know, playing that kind of role and martyrdom and kind of relishing it. Um, and there are a lot of ways that we can kind of go in that route, and that's sinful, you know. That's sinful. Um, and so the feelings of discouragement must not be surrendered to, and this is the reason why. Because whatever the human reasons are for your discouragement, there are better reasons for the Christian to hope. Okay, this is universally true for every Christian. That whatever the re human reasons you have for discouragement, there are always better reasons to have hope. Okay, this is not for some Christians or for, you know, the high level, if you're a real disciple of Jesus. No, every Christian. Whether you've been a Christian for one day or for, you know, 20 years. Whether you've been super faithful uh, during those 20 years or you, you've already sinned 10 times in your one day of being a Christian. And it doesn't matter. The, the reasons are the same across the board for everyone who is a Christian. Okay, that's point three. And then point four, going back specifically to these verses, uh, the fourth thing we need to do is that we need to now identify the God reasons for fighting against discouragement. Okay. We identify the God reasons for fighting against discouragement. And there are a lot. Right? Um, look at verse 5. This is, I think, the, uh, you know, if psalm is it's a song, then the refrain or the chorus is verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. And then uh, again in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. And, you know, in the oldest, um, in the oldest uh, manuscripts of the Bible, like some of them put Psalm 42 and 43 together, you know. And even when you hear sermons today by people, many of them will put Psalm 42 and 43 together because they have the same chorus. You look at the very end of Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him and my salvation and my God. And so uh, from this refrain and from the verses that are connected to it in, in Psalm 42, 
we've got a lot of reasons, God reasons, for fighting against discouragement. And uh, one obvious one is the hope, the hope that we have. So what is this person saying in this refrain? He's saying, I hope in the Lord. Well, what is hope? What is the Christian hope? Christian hope is being encouraged and being full of faith in the character and promises of God regarding your life. It's being encouraged and full of faith in the character and promises of God for your, for your life. Hope, the word hope in the Bible is not used the way that we use it. Like, I hope I win the lottery. You know, I hope the Lakers make the playoffs, right? These can be very small, faint things that will, will not happen. But Christian hope is different. It's an assurance thing. It's one that's supposed to lend uh, an encouragement to people, right? And it's not based on the circumstances in which you live in, but upon something that's stable, the character of God and the promises of God for you, you see? And so that's what hope is, and that's what he's saying, that I have this hope uh, of God because of the, of the character that he's revealed, well, what character has he revealed? Through Jesus Christ. Well, what has he revealed through Jesus Christ? That he is a God who is incredibly, in fact, totally committed to redeeming you, to loving you, to blessing you. Isn't that what he reveals to you in Christ that he is a God that is glorious and lofty and holy and that he has provided this wondrous plan of salvation which includes you, not excludes you, but includes you in the glory of salvation. That is, that is that He's not like just saving you. Okay, this is what you got to understand. This is how wonderful salvation is. I won't share the other stuff. You guys already know them. But like one example is you think, oh, that he saved you like, like you're a damsel in distress and you get saved, right? And for guys, we hate that image, right? It's like, well, what? Even when we're saved, we feel like, you know, I don't get motivated by this. Of course you don't. You don't get motivated. But of course, if you're saved from a great enough danger, then you're grateful, Right? And there's part of that. That's true. But I'm saying that that's not all of it. And that's not the real, the real picture of a salvation. The real picture of a salvation is something like this, where he pours his glory through you. You know? It's like John 17. I, I, I can't break down that passage on glory, but where he's like... You know like when Stephanie, um, you know, she used to attend our church... She's a great singer. She used to sing right behind me, right? And then whenever she sang right behind me, amazing singer. I always felt like I was a better singer, right? And I always felt really confident. I would, like, lift up my voice and sing. You guys know how 
um, you know, uncomfortable I am to let other people hear my voice. I don't want to lead in, in music, so I always ask them to turn down my mic whenever we're doing the hymn at the end. Uh, because I, I know I don't have a good voice, but, but like I'll sing really loud. And I feel that like power just right behind me, blasting all through, like right through my head, right through my vocal cords. And I'm just singing loud. And what I'm saying is that, that, that I, I think that's like the best I, I ever sounded. <laughs> because it's my voice and her voice kind of going together. And that's what I hear. But what I'm saying is that God's glory is like that. Where God's glory passes right through your life. And it's not just that you're saved, but that you, you're becoming the best version of yourself. Here on this earth. Now, it's not going to get perfected. Of course not. You're not going to be the best husband you can be. You're not going to be the best you know, worker you can be, the best Christian you can be here on this earth. But, but you get a sense of that. And you get inspired. And you start working toward that. Fits and starts. But it's an upward trajectory. Right? That's the normal way. And why? Because of that idea. And that's what I'm saying here. That, that, that's God's work in your life. Right? And that's what we hope for. Another thing that we should be encouraged by, another God reason for fighting against discouragement, is these waterfalls and waves and breakers. Whose are they? The devils? The enemies? Whose are they? They're gods. It's wonderful. Because even the, the, uh, the oppression that we get, even the resistance that we get in life, ultimately they're from the Lord. And that should give us great encouragement because it, it's less like, God try, like somebody trying to trip us up and ruin us and more like a trainer who's got your best interest in mind and wants you to be glorified. You know, wants you to become the best version of yourself. Wants you to become stronger in your faith. You know, have more integrity. Work harder. Be more honest. Be more generous. You know, love more people. Open your heart to more people. You know, these kinds of things. And how does he do it? Well, the same way that, you know, athletes, Olympic athletes get better. You know, they do resistance training, all sorts, weights and other things. Resistance training. And that's what God is doing for you and me. Providing resistance in our life that we might be trained, that we might grow stronger, that we might have uh, become more resilient, that we might have uh, more um, vibrant and you know, a more robust faith that we might grow in areas that we haven't grown in in a while, and that he provides resistance and helps us to turn in that direction and to learn and grow there. You know, these kinds of things come from God's waterfalls, waves, and breakers, right? They're not intended to drown you, but neither are you to surrender to them. You're to have hope, and you're to realize they are God's waterfalls, waves, and breakers. Third, look at the way in which he describes God. You know, in verse 1... He says, you know, as a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O Elohim, which is God of power. But here, in this verse, when he turns to God, why are you cast out, O my soul? You know, hope in, it's not Elohim, but what is it? 
Yahweh. Right? Two names for God, but two different ideas. Elohim is in reference to the God of power. Yahweh is like the personal name of God. It's like calling, you know, you know, if you call your dad, your dad, you know, you know, hey dad, right? Only you can call, you know, your dad, dad, right? If I say, hey dad, you're like, what the, you know? That's not appropriate, right? Um, and, and that's what it is. It's like that, it's a, it speaks to a relationship, a very close relationship, a very important relationship. And it's the salvation relationship, the redemption relationship between God and his people that is bound in the word Yahweh, who is a covenant-making God. You know, that's what Yahweh literally means. Covenant means promise. God made a promise that he would make a people his people and that he would be their God. That was the basic promise. And that the church in the New Testament represents those people. That he is Yahweh to us, not just Elohim. That he is our Father in heaven. And finally, verses 9 to 11... I want you to notice something here and bring us back into kind of a, a reality, a very um, gritty reality about the struggle against depression, a struggle against discouragement. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Wait, did I skip the... Oh, I want to read from verse 8, sorry. Uh, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Here's a guy who has just spoken to himself, preached to himself, and he has um, given an imperative to himself, a command, right? And he's in a good place. But then you look at verse 9, and you think, well, is this guy being inconsistent? You know, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Right. And you might think, well, you know, what's going on here? You know, uh, it sounds like in verse 8, he's overcome the discouragement. But then in verse 9 and 10, he's gone right back to it. Right? He's gone back to being discouraged again. And what you need to know about the Bible and what's great about the Psalms, too, is that it's talking about real life. And the battle against discouragement and against depression, when you got it real deep, you know, that it's not a one time fight, but that you experience victory, a real victory. And it's not speak. You're, it wasn't like you were insincere before. It wasn't like you were def, you're defeated when you go back. That was a real victory. That was a real gain. But it's a long fight. That's what you need to understand. That's the right expectation you need to have, right? To not get discouraged when when it looks like you're circling back to the exact same place. You're not circling back to the exact same place because you were faithful at that moment. It's just that you're facing the discouragement. The discouragement is real. It's a difficult battle. It's a prolonged battle where you need to apply constant pressure, constant advancement on this 
on this uh, challenge in your life. And so this is a picture of kind of the reality of discouragement and depression. That we need to fight it. We need to fight against it. And for you guys not to get discouraged when you feel like, oh, I'm right back in the same spot. You're not. God doesn't see it that way. Psalmist doesn't see it that way. Right? Why? Because the conclusion is verse 11. Right? It doesn't end with verse 10, but it ends with verse 11, which is, why are you cast down, O my soul? Um, which is, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And one thing I, I, I would ask you guys to do today, as we gather together, we do, uh, we sing this, uh, you know, song and close today's worship, is to imitate this guy, at least in form. And may the Spirit help you to make it something from your heart. Um, that in verse 8, this guy is saying that he is thanking God. That he is thanking God, even though the circumstances of his life haven't changed. But that he is looking um, and gleaning from the character of God and the promises of God. He is hoping in God. And from that, he is praising God. Hallowed be thy name. And he is saying, for I shall again praise him. He's saying that in his heart. Even though the circumstances haven't changed. And I want you guys, I ask you guys, to pray that to think that, to say that to God today as we're, as we're singing. Just think that and say that to God. Um, even if you don't feel it, even if you, the circumstances of your life haven't changed, right? Because the hope of God is not involved with the circumstances of your life. The hope of God is involved and anchored in the character and promises of God. And that's why this man... Uh, this son of Korah was able to go from, um, from this place of deep discouragement and even depression to write this song, which is a song of praise to God. So let's all stand. Stand with me, would you?